Hey everybody, uh, this is uh, Nevin Gussack, uh, your host of the uh, Patriotic Populist, and I want to welcome my co-host, Herschel Miller. It's been a long time since we had a show. How's it going? Oh, it's going good, Nevin. To anybody that was wondering why we took our absence last weekend, I worked myself near to death. Uh, real rough week, a lot of stuff going on, and I just needed the time off. But I'm back into the swing of things. I feel great, and I'm ready to go. That's excellent. All righty, absolutely. This is what happens when you have hardworking members of the working class. They need that time off when they're doing uh, mental or manual labor, and this is... It's just a reality. It's just how it goes. Uh, I'm just going to turn my phone off here. I don't want any uh, dinging sounds. And uh, no, I've been pretty good. Um, uh, you know, social life is doing well. Uh, I had a great lunch today uh, with some great company. I was very enjoyable no matter what happens. Uh, I had something called ceviche, which is it's a Latin American uh, fish dish where it's cured fish, it's cured like in lime juice and vinegar, I think, and other things. And if you live in a major metropolitan area, it's really the thing to try. It tastes great, it's refreshing, it's not heavy, it's healthy. It's a great, great thing to have uh, lunch or dinner. Uh, for di It's a great thing to have for lunch or dinner. It's absolutely wonderful. Um, had dulce, dulce, dulce de leche dessert, which I shared with someone. That was great. So I uh, had a great walk this morning, and uh, you know everything's going fairly well. I, I have to say, I've gone through some struggles recently, but things are slowly but surely evening themselves out. I'm really understanding myself better. Um, I had a couple of solo live streams that I did um you know on various topics so i hope you guys check it out and i'm ready to do our show so what are we going to talk about today herschel well i think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about bessemer <laughs> and i have to say that there there are political disappointments and then there's bessemer and that one's going to hurt for a while mm -hmm. What's even worse, you know, I'm a union member myself, and from what I had heard through the grapevine, Bessemer was going to be a pretty even match, but either somebody had bad information or there's something funky going on down there with the votes, which more than likely it was just bad information. I'm not going to accuse Amazon of something, but what I will say is this, as a hopeful gesture towards the rest of the labor community, this isn't our first loss. The labor movement didn't die because we lost Bessemer. We can pick ourselves up, dust ourselves off, and try again. There's plenty of Amazon warehouses and plenty of other places. Um, so I'm not going to sit around and cry about it. But that doesn't mean it didn't put me in a bad mood when I heard the news. What are your thoughts on it, Evan? Yeah, very similar. I was devastating to hear about it, especially since so much attention um was paid to the uh union organizing at amazon's facility in bessemer alabama and really it was kind of crushing and i was really in a pissy bad mood as you know from our offline chats and mm -hmm. that as well as some personal circumstances it just was a lethal combination 
And let's just say I had some very nihilistic opinions. Let's just say I was not a happy camper. But I think we also have to come to the conclusion, like you mentioned, Herschel, that this is not the last organizing effort at Amazon as well as elsewhere. Um, you know, we have to keep on plugging away and trying and trying and organizing and organizing and organizing. One of the things, though, that is disappointing, but frankly not surprising, is the fact that Joe Biden and many of the Democrats, shy the independent senator from Vermont, Bernie Sanders notably, many of the Democrats, led by Joe Biden, our president, really had nothing to say. And I'm just keep on thinking if this was FDR's time or Teddy Roosevelt as president or FDR as president, they wouldn't have stood silent. They would have lambasted Amazon. They would have lambasted them like the other economic royalists to quote or FDR for their absolutely abusive, appalling uh, behaviors towards uh, their employees. So this is the Democratic Party, I got to tell you, uh, like Mitch McConnell was the most powerful man under Obama, part of Obama and Trump. Now Joe Manchin is becoming the most powerful person in the Senate. And these Democrats have really are missing a lot of opportunities. I mean, Joe Manchin does not want further raises in the corporate income tax. It doesn't matter if you lower or raise the corporate income tax. Major multinational corporations are continue to outsource jobs because it's more profitable for the executives and notably their shareholders. That's how it operates. Secondly, um, the infrastructure bill has been cut down by several trillion dollars when this country barely gets a D, I think, in the uh, in infrastructure grades. Uh, by the various engineers associate uh, associations, <clears throat> you know, and then also uh, the stimulus checks. I mean, under the dying days of Trump, we got $600. And then the administration and the Congress is like, oh, well, we're just doing $1,400. Now, during this pandemic, the way it should have been done, logically, if you're thinking of the problem, thinking about solutions of the problem on a national scale, you would have given $2,000 checks for those people that are making $200,000 or below. That's it, because $50,000 or $70,000 or $100,000 is going to be chump change in an area like Miami, Florida, Washington, D.C., New York City, Boston you know, et cetera, et cetera, California. So really, that would have been a huge lift for the economy. Because even, let's say, I'm making $200,000, which would have been a very high salary, and our cost of living is pretty high in here in South Florida. It still would have been a tremendous lift for all those people, because that money would have recycled back in the economy. And the Democrats... Well, I mean, this is why they lose to the teabaggers and the corporate Republicans who use the wedge issues to gain working class votes because the Democrats are not fighting on economic populism. And I think that's where the biggest, not so much disappointment, but, but frustration I have. You know, he's just like Obama got defeated. Obama promised hope and change and oh my God, everything's going to be hunky dory and 
you know, we got to unite and all the rest of it. But yet Obama just sold us out. He sold us out. And it looks like, unfortunately, Joe Biden, while on some economic issues is marginally better than Trump, still Joe Biden is is still going to be a disaster. Now I understand in the news, um, some of Biden's officials, cabinet secretaries, are talking about rejoining the Trans-Pacific Partnership, of which Trump, one of Trump's more smarter executive orders, he withdrew from the TPP negotiations and we should stay out of it. And no, the TPP is not a check on Russia because even under Obama, you had Secretary of State John Kerry uh, saying on mere television that the TPP, he would allow Russia and China to join TPP. Uh, Other Obama administration officials said that the TPP explicitly stated that the TPP was not an anti-China measure at all, explicitly. So they were talking out of both sides of the mouth. Because really what China will do is through Viet communist Vietnam and other countries like Malaysia, they'll just continue to channel products in the American market um, with lower tariffs. They'll just channel it through third countries, which they've done in the past to escape even Trump's tariffs. So with Bessemer, it's just another disappointment. Biden... MIA. Yeah. Well, I'll say this, and, and I've said this before, but I think this kind of reinforces my point, is that when I say that we are on our own, this is what I'm talking about. Short of Bernie Sanders, I believe Ro Connor was in it. Now, I'm not trying to discredit anybody, so if I'm missing a senator or a representative that mm-hmm. was outspoken on Bessemer, please inform us in the comments. But on the whole, the people, the union vote in Bessemer, Alabama was left to die. Now, obviously, the Republican Party wasn't going to help them because the Republican Party is anti-worker. It will always be anti-worker, and you will never convince me otherwise. Um, but on the other hand, the, the supposed party of labor that is supposed to be standing up for workers' rights and standing up for unions, mm-hmm. for the most part, nowhere to be found. Yeah, Joe Biden went on this short video where he said, yeah, I believe that workers have the right to unionize and we should protect that. That was the most milquetoast, limp-wristed response I've ever heard. Yes. Look, I understand that a president's job is to be a mediator. And Teddy Roosevelt, to his credit, he didn't totally favor the unionizers. Um, you know, he did make them give certain concessions to the to the uh, to the coal stri- uh, the coal companies, but it takes a little bit more than that to convince me that you're pro labor. And it goes back to a central problem that exists in this country right now. If you are not part of the wealthy elite in this country, if you do not own multiple homes, if you aren't a six-figure or probably more than likely seven-figure salaried individual, mm-hmm. your voice really doesn't matter. And how I know this, there have been several studies done. I could probably quote you a few, but it basically boils down to this, is that the vast majority of decisions and policies in this country are centered around the wants and needs of the top percentage of income earners in this country. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's no wonder that when a, the biggest union vote in 100 years comes up, which would have been a watershed moment in 21st century labor laws, 
it wasn't covered on very many news channels. I mean, Fox News runs some coverage against it, but of course. But for the most part, the Democrats' main focus right now was on anti-aging hate, which is an issue, mm-hmm. on gun control, which is an issue. Mm-hmm. But I've always been a believer that when you improve the material conditions of people, a lot of issues tend to fade away. It's not mm-hmm. going to fix everything. I'm no idiot. I don't believe that making people wealthier is going to fix racism. But what I do believe is, is that when you fix, there, there's a direct correlation between poverty and gun violence, for example. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's poor areas are more prone to violence. It just is. And when you look at things on the grand scale, Something like that unionization effort in Bessemer, maybe it wouldn't have affected the entire country or even the area it wouldn't have fixed all their problems, but it would have improved it. So this all gets back. When somebody tells me that the DNC is part is pro-labor, I just laugh at them anymore because maybe there's a handful of people that I would consider pro-labor in the Democratic, the National Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Most of them aren't. And that just leaves us out here to fight by ourselves. Well, that's right. And this is where it's going to require from the ground up and whether this will happen in our lifetimes, I don't know, but it's going to require a sort of, I don't even want to use the term third party or a third position or third way organization, but it's going to require an alternative political movement that's going to educate people or at least give a different perspective on the issues that is outside the left right paradigm. And that's what it comes down to. Because we really are not left or right. I mean, we are truly America first in a very comprehensive, uh, deep meaning. Uh, And the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, both sides are really not cutting it. I mean, they have bring kernels of truth and some good policies to the table, but their track record for the past 40 years or so has just absolutely been horrendous and in varying degrees. You know, bipartisanship basically means how can we screw the American worker and the American middle class and American small business, essentially. I mean, that's what it comes down to. And really what it's going to have to come down to, I really have been ruminating about this lately, it's going to have to come down to a reconfiguration of the state, if you will. And that's a very, 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 um, it's a very difficult thing to tackle. Uh, it's something I'm very conflicted about, but I think we really have to construct a state while free in many ways in maintaining many of our freedoms, but it also has to have the powers to act as a mediator. So when the capitalistic oligarchs have too much power, just like they do now, you need a forceful power to push back against them. Just like if organized labor uh was way too powerful and really hurting and injuring business unnecessarily a state would have to push back against that and that doesn't mean just like an outright fascist dictatorship because there are problems associated with unaccountable power the temptation is there to say to just wash your hands and say, let's go to a fascist dictatorship or even a communist or Stalinist dictatorship. But my concern is, is the history, the bloody history associated with that. And that's why I have a hard time wrapping my head around 
But on the other hand, what we have now, as Bessemer Alabama proves, as our campaign finance system has proved, which shuts out a lot of good people out of the elections because it's so geared to a two-party system, we have, in a way, a dictatorship of the big corporate capitalists. They really have a lot of control. And they have hampered our small d democracy too, to the point where, as you were mentioning, there's one study which proved, which showed it was, I think, uh, written in 2014. I think it was Benjamin Page and Martin Gillens of Northwestern University and Princeton University. It showed that basically by the congressional votes and priorities that all of their legislation and priorities benefit the top 1%. And to me, what I would like to do is have a state with a partially new state system that has the power to harmonize the interests of varying and competing class interests into an organic whole. And you can do that in an updated constitutional liberal democratic framework, but it's going to require revisiting and reconfiguring reconfiguring what we have on paper right now, because what we have on paper right now with the Constitution is completely subverted by corporate America. You know, they are totally overriding the will of the people. They, you know, this notion of checks and balances is a joke, because really the issue of checks and balances is not the big versus small government arguments. It's corporation, major corporations and employers having disproportionate power over the lives of the, you know, the of the many, the many Americans, 99%, whatever you want to call it. That, to me, is the biggest dilemma. Well, Nevin, if I could chime in here, I'd like to give my side of this. So over the years, I've, I've taken quite the extensive political journey, and it's led me to a lot of different ideologies and studying. And, and I can, do not consider myself to be an expert on any particular political ideology because, uh, first off, it's not that I hate reading because I do enjoy reading. And it's not that I don't enjoy scholarly work. It's that at a certain point, scholarship or intellectualism, it, it can become completely useless at the end of the mm-hmm. day. You know, one of the things that I make fun of tankies for all the time is the fact that pretty much all they do is read theory and kill each other. (laughs) You know, and it's true. It's because, I mean, look, I understand that it's important to understand the principles of what you're trying to push. But at a certain point, you just got to do something, anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And intellectualism will only get you so far. Mm -hmm. On the other side of that, when we go studying these various ideologies it's always kind of this this what you're trying to figure out is is what can i live with what can i see myself living in this particular way Uh, you know i can't live in a fascist dictatorship i do enjoy what me and you do our freedom of speech our freedom of being able to talk about what we want to talk about because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day and this is not me saying that there aren't good-natured people that are authoritarian. What I am saying is is that inevitably the good-natured people get killed. Yes. You know, and this is kind of my beef with authoritarianism and why I've always held it at a distance with a stick. It's not that I don't think that people have good ideas. 
Because trust me, when I look at what happens in this country, I really, really wish I could do something about it or that we could have some type of system where somebody could just do something. And I understand that you got to balance that out with some type of democracy. But at the end of the day, power is power no matter where it comes from. It can be a fascist dictatorship, a communist dictatorship, or a system like we have where the average person doesn't have that much autonomy over their own lives anymore. I mean, for God's sake, we've been in Iraq for 20-something years, or in the Middle East for 20-something years. It is one of the most deeply unpopular issues in the United States, yet every single year, the con or Congress approves it and our president signs or sends more troops over there. Or even if they don't send more troops, the troops that are there stay. You know, our, our infrastructure, for example, is crumbling around us and nothing happens. You know, there's no big push in the government for the most part. Yes, Biden is pushing us an infrastructure bill that will be almost completely ineffective when in practice because it's it's throwing band-aids at, at not just bullet wounds, but just full-blown gangrene at this point. I mean, our country is mm -hmm. rotting beneath our feet. Mm -hmm. So what we have to decide as people is, is that what system are we willing to live under? Because I'm telling you, I'm not willing to live under this one either. Mm -hmm. And before somebody jumps in the comments saying, well, you don't like it here, just move. Look, I love my country. I love my people. I love my heritage. I love the, the uh, I genuinely love being here. But that doesn't mean that you can't have problems with the way things are. I've always thought that's a stupid argument. I mean, yes, don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm not a flag burner, and I can't stand them people. I, you know, in fact, I, I don't have a problem with them people, you know, getting punched in the face when they do. But what I'll say is, is that this country has deep problems, genuinely deep problems that run into nearly everything that we built around us. And then if we don't take steps now to fix it, we're going to lose it. And that's why we as a people... <clears throat> have to come together to figure out what we're going to do. I think that a good way to help, and this is just, and it is me being optimistic. And, you know, Kenny, if you're listening, yes, I know that this is still a pipe dream. I know that I'm still an optimist. I do believe getting more people involved in government will help. Maybe won't fix it, but it will help. And I think that focusing on more local movements can in the long run help mitigate some of the problems. But at the end of the day, all of this is useless as long as our system is set up to be completely deaf to all of the cries of the, the people at the bottom of the system. And that's what we have now. When factory workers from Michigan are crying out because they've lost everything they've ever had because their job at the factory moved to China or Mexico or or was automated too. Not all of our jobs are being lost just to outsourcing. The huge chart part of our jobs is lose or lost automation. Mm -hmm. But these people are just left behind. Um, coal workers in West Virginia, uh, retail workers all across the country are being phased out in favor of automation. What I'm saying is, is there's a growing number of people that have lost the ability due to no fault, fault of their own of making a living in this country. And what, what scares me at night is these people... I mean, they're a time bomb is what they are. Just waiting for some some uh, ideologue to, or demagogue to come by and like Trump or like uh, some 
Trump did it probably better than anybody has in recent political history, but Obama hands were, Obama's hands weren't clean in this either. Mm-hmm. But these people are just waiting for somebody to come save them, and they'll. that's a dangerous game because the person that comes to save them might be an absolute monster. Mm-hmm. It don't matter to these people because to them, they've already lost everything. I don't know, Nevin. And at the end of the day, me hoping that, that guys like me and you could help fix problems, I mean, I have to have hope, otherwise I wouldn't do this. I have to believe that in what we're doing, but at the end of the day, don't think that there isn't a part of me that thinks crap. I don't know even I don't even know where to begin to fix some of this. It can't be all on our shoulders, though. I think we, yes, we're being part of the solution rather than the problem. <clears throat> you know, I think it, it. I think it comes through differing personalities, like you and I, and others out there, uh, educating people on the issues or giving a different stance. And I think we give a very unique non-right, non-left stance on the issues. Um, <clears throat> and I think that's the first step. I think we have to just constantly educate, give different points of view than what people hear on Fox News or, or MSNBC or CNN or somebody like a Ben Shapiro or Steven Crowder and others where they give the same old tired neoliberal market fundamentalist uh, ideology and, and bile. And, you know, well, CNN and MSNBC, no homophobic intentions here, but really they just cover their neoliberal sympathies with a, a rainbow flag, essentially, and Black Lives Matter, and that's it. Not that I'm not sympathetic to LGBT brothers and sisters of ours, as well as our black brothers and sisters, no, no issue uh, with them as a group. But CNN, MSNBC, it's corporatocracy, just covered up with the rainbow of colors, essentially. And you know, we serve as a um, we serve as a uh, as an alternative, and there are others out there like Endernax, and you have Kyle Kalinsky, you have Cigar and Jetty, um, you know all these different people, and Crystal Ball. I mean, they're out there, and we're supplementing them, and their voices are growing. I mean, particularly Cigar uh, Cigar and Crystal's show uh, Rising is really actually doing very well. They you and I have talked about have they beaten it and and to be honest they're my three favorite political YouTube shows to be honest with you not to say I don't have disagreements with them but really they're the my favorite ones out there lately yeah well you know and I think what they do better than anybody is the fact that I mean yeah Crystal gets into ID poll more than I'd like to, and so does Kyle. And Cigar definitely has his moments that it's like, dude, just give up. Like, I don't, I still don't understand why Cigar is anti pot. It's 2021. Like, move on. That's not a hill die. <laughs> Jesus. I, I genuinely don't care about people smoking pot. Like, if you ask me any day of the week, I'm like, yeah, smoke pot. I don't care. I don't smoke pot because I have to work. You know, I have a job. I cannot be high on that job because if I'm high on that job and I screw up, people can die. The property can be seriously damaged. I don't. Exactly. But what I what I not trying to get off on a tangent here, but just yeah. 
it's it's long past time not only to legalize pot just as easy as you do alcohol but to also release people that are still held on pot charges like mm -hmm. it's criminal like not kind of criminal. i mean one of the most criminal things in this country right now but but what them shows do is where cnn will wrap all this corporate propaganda up in a pride flag and shove it down your throat like you're too stupid to understand it or where Fox News and, and the lost cause that they are at this point will just ramble on about the most idiotic, insignificant points. You know, the whole brown tan shirt or tan suit scandal comes to mind. Oh, God. You know, but, but what I'm getting to, though, is that, that most of these news sources, they don't cover anything, not of, not of substance. I see the union vote was a big issue on Kyle Kalinske, so it was a big issue on the Hill. It was at least mentioned on Internet. Mm -hmm. That affect average people, and and this is kind of what I when I because I'm a populist. I don't you know that's what I go by. And one of the things that I care about is working class politics. And I'm not saying that social issues don't affect the working class. In fact, I would say they affect us more than anybody. But what I am saying is is that the loss of our ability to make a living, the loss of our ability to buy a house, to me, is a far more significant factor than than uh, you know what senator put a pride flag in the bio on Twitter or <laughs> how nice Joe Biden sounded at his speech. Because look, I don't give not a single shit about how nice a president sounds. That was one of the arguments from the Democrats that I always hated about Trump was, is look, I did not like how Trump handled himself. I didn't, but I really didn't care that Trump called a country a shithole. Like not even a little bit. It was it proper. Maybe not. I'm not saying it's something that you should do, but I'm saying that I didn't lose any sleep over that. I lost sleep over the fact that Trump wanted to pass a national right-to-work law. I lost sleep over the fact that Trump's tax cut disproportionately affected people that were already gaming the system. I lost sleep over the fact that Trump's camp or his judges were overwhelmingly anti-union Federalist Society judges. Was them issues covered by various mainstream outlets yeah i mean it did come and it, it was mentioned but rachel maddow has done more of a disservice to our movement and journalistic credibility than any shit that fox news has ever did well, and yeah, I but how it was russia Russia was about trump's ties with the russians yeah and to tell you the truth a lot of big corporate tycoons are tied in with putin's russia trump is no different i mean obama gave Putin, I, uh, you know, the new START treaty, which Russia violated, and gave um, Putin uh, permanent normal trade relations. And then the corporate Democrats all of a sudden are chewing out Trump for being tied to the Russians. That's that's the height of hypocrisy. It's disgusting. You know, Maddow really doesn't cover the economic issues. And there are people like Crystal Ball and Ed Schultz who were fired from MSNBC. Because they were favorable to, they wanted to cover Bernie Sanders more. They were favorable to him. And they also wanted to cover the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And now it would absolutely further kill American manufacturing here. So they waved bye-bye. And Crystal went her way. And, of course, Schultz, well, he was pushed in the arms of the Russians, of Russia today. And he was anti-Putin and also very much against the Communist Party of China. So he ends up on RT and all of a sudden is a Putin apologist.
Yeah. You know, figure that out. Thank you, corporate media. This is how corporate America is just aiding and abetting our enemies. They deplatform populists, whether left or right populists, and they go wandering into the enemy camp. I mean, yeah. you know, you can't make this shit up. Well, you know, and that's the saddest part of all of it is, is that, look, when I say that, I'm, I'm just going to be honest here. Deplatforming has become a way of, of major, look, one of these days, if me and Nevin ever get the chance to become big, we are going to get all kinds of shit dug up about us. Anything that we've ever did. It's politics. It's ugly. And one of the ways they do this now is cancel culture. Now, look, I'm not one of them big, oh, the, the libs are canceling everybody. Because, look, I, for, for a Republican that has argued for years that corporations should be able to do whatever they want, like, I don't have any sympathy for you. I, I really don't. This is the bed that you made. When you allowed corporations for generations to get away with murder, don't ask me to feel sorry that all of a sudden, you know, Twitter has banned you. Like, I'm not a feeling bad for you. But what I will say is this, is that I have noticed, it, it, by observing the way that this has went down, is, is that, that neoliberal inter entities love to use cancel culture as a way to silence people of different opinions, people that are outside of their acceptable political spectrum. Because, look, they're not digging shit up on Joe Biden. Joe Biden has got a mile-long track record of horrible racial stances dating all the way back to the 60s. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is, is that they never mentioned a word about Joe Biden's track record. They don't care about anybody that fits into their preferred worldview. It's only those of us that are on the outside that have to worry about it. And... It's, it's why people don't trust news outlets. It's why people don't trust corporate entities themselves. And, and trust me, it's it, I love all of this. Because the less people trust corporate news and the less people trust corporations, the better off I am. Because, like, we don't need to trust most of these entities and how they operate. But one of the friends that I have, a guy named Bob Gardner, one of the things that he talks a lot about is how in years gone by, corporations and other entities would use racial politics and other divisive politics to help break up the labor movement, help break up populist coalitions. Um, to think that then people quit doing that is to be just completely ignorant of history. Of course they're still doing that. They do it every day. For a good example being, I think it was Tucker Carlson that brought this up. Now, I'm not a huge Tucker Carlson fan. I think that he's definitely taking a step down from the Tucker that I found back in 2018 or so. Mm -hmm. But what I will say is this. Tucker Carlson brought out a point the other day. I said the other day. It might have been a couple months now. That around the, uh, the, the Occupy Wall Street movement, about the time that that was really becoming a big issue in this country, uh, news articles reporting supposed spikes in racial violence across this country grew just exploded. It went up like 1,100% over the course of a couple of months. Now, somebody might say that was a coincidence because they'll say, well, progressivism was becoming more of a issue, and so progressive issues became more no notorious. But I don't think so. See, 
there's nothing that divides the working class like racism. Nothing. Mm-hmm. There's not a, other, a single other issue that causes as much division as racial policy, racial differences, whatever you want to say. And they know, they being corporate outlets and the, the people that are funding them, that, first of all, racism is a very profitable news you know, cycle. Anytime mm-hmm. there's a big racial so- story in the country, it's ho- it's wall-to-wall coverage. But they also so, know that it's the fastest way to kill populist movements. Mm-hmm. Which We talked about that in our last uh, joint show when we were reading excerpts from Dr. Martin, Reverend Martin Luther King's speech. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is. And it's such a terrible thing altogether because... I have just as much skin in the table as as any other working class or skin skin in the game as any other person in this country, any working class person. And the fact that we can't stop killing each other it is is such a terrible thing. It's the greatest tragedy in modern America, in my opinion. Now, I'm definitely not going to sit here and say that there aren't racial issues in this country that need to be solved. I think you'd have to be an idiot not to think that. You know, there's definitely systemic problems the way that our our country has de- or dealt with minority populations in this country. It's something that needs to be a part of a populist movement. Mm-hmm. But at a certain point, when they're using it to weaponize it against any legitimate movements, it's you got to start asking yourself: Is it worth all of what's with it? Because the fact is, is that nobody's getting anything right now. You know. Racial issues are not getting better in this country by dividing the populist movement up. And that's why, for me personally, I try to stay away from it on this show, from my end of it, because at the end of the day, I want people to become a part of a populist coalition. Doesn't necessarily have to be ours, just some type of populist movement in this country. Yeah, I'm going to take a break, too. I'm going to get some more water. I'll make sure to play some uh, elevator music or something in the background. You know, in these brief intermissions here, Herschel, I'm thinking we should play like some bluegrass music in the background. What do you think? Hey, look, I got the banjo in the background. I can play music for a little bit. <laughs> there you go. No, coming out, I'd say this. I think it's a good time to shift the conversation a little bit. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I'd like to talk about tonight that come up in conversation with me and Nevin the other night is how this, this cycle of poverty that perpetuates itself across a good part of the country right now. And, I think that right now it's definitely a good time to talk about it, especially with unions on it being a big issue. Sure. I don't even know how to start. But one thing, I'll, I'll, I'll start this by, by a story that I t- got told from one of my foremans. So I've talked about before the Whirlpool factory that closed down in Fort Smith, Arkansas. I think it was 2008, maybe 10. But it had been closed down for quite a few years now. This factory, when in operation, was a linchpin of the, of the economy of our area. Not just locally, but you know, spreading out way further than I would have even imagined. According to my foreman, 
that junk company probably supported no less than 500 different companies underneath it. Subcontractors, restaurants, you know, there was, you know, in my entire contracting companies, that's all they did was work on this one factory because there was enough work to go around. This was a huge factory. And when that factory disappeared, we lost, you know, the, the factory with thousands of workers, 500 or so jobs, or companies that were operating around it. And it, it started this cycle in, in this area. Now, this I'll say that my area has always been poor. It's not like all of a sudden the lights come on, you know, the, the lights are turned off, I would say, and just everybody became, you know, lived in poverty. No, what I'm saying is, though, is that when we lost Whirlpool, what you lost was a, was a means of employment for a large number of people that could not be tradesmen. Or I'm not going to say low-skilled workers because I've always hated that because it always takes certain amounts of skill to be run a job. But I will say that their job was not a trade job. It wasn't a medical field job. It was a job that you showed up to work, you'd done your job every day, you went home, and you made a good living, a good, respectable job. People built houses, sent their kids to college, raised families. It was a great place to work. But when it went... These people now had to find something. What happened was, is that when all of these people around this area started having to find new work, well, first of all, the, the there wasn't much left after that because quite a few other factories closed down around that, further making the problem worse. But these people found themselves in a very bad predicament. Mm -hmm. They had built a career off of making a good living. And now all of a sudden, one of the jobs that could support them was gone. And there wasn't many left. Several years ago, probably 2018, Planters Peanut, which also has a factory in Fort Smith, Arkansas, uh, they put out an ad for a forklift jobber. Now, if memory serves, this job was between $17 and $18 an hour, depending on your shift. Now, I heard from somebody that worked at Planters that there was over 1,000 people that applied for that job. Mm. Now, just to give you some understanding, Fort Smith is not a, a large town by any stretch of the imagination. I think it has about 70,000, or a large city. It has about seventy or 80,000 people that live in it. Mm -hmm. But the fact is that 1,000 people were fighting over the same jobs. Mm. What you had left after Whirlpool left was low-wage jobs, jobs like McDonald's, jobs like Burger King, uh, motel maids, but, you know, low-end, low-paying jobs that did not offer a person the ability to advance themselves in their life, which put even more strain on the already stretched to its limit social services in Arkansas and Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. It is enig enigmatic of a bigger problem in this country right now. We have lost thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of jobs over the last few decades. Now, yes, people will say that we've added more jobs back, but to me, we have lost good-paying manufacturing jobs. Our manufacturing industry is dead. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it is, as far as a viable career, it's a dead career path at this point. We've lost all of these jobs and yet to have found a good place to replace them with. At a certain point, we have to start asking the question in this country is, is that how are we going to make sure these people don't sit in poverty forever? Because this is the thing about poverty that I have witnessed firsthand. 
when a person is poor, and I mean real poor, they don't usually have enough money for a good vehicle. They don't usually have enough good money for a good house, so they're probably living in a pile of shit. They don't have good enough, you know, their food security might be supplemented by food stamps, but that's not always a good bet. Mm-hmm. So what happens to these people? is that they can't get good job because they don't have a reliable means of transportation, which makes them even worse. And in there, they can't pay for a good house, so they're always either living in far-off places that are cheaper or they're living in absolute crappy houses, unlivable by most human standards. These people, if they have kids, this is what these kids are brought up into. They're brought up into not ever having anything. Generally speaking, they they lack secondary education. I mean, yes, there are examples of people making it through this. But for the most part, people that are born in the bottom of our income brackets are not going to college. These people, all they know is poverty. All they know is poor. All they know is scraping. You know, if the last census data was correct that I've seen, my median income in my hometown was $14,000 a year. I mean, that's poverty by any standard. There's only a handful of places in the country that's poor. And it's no wonder then why a huge number of people in my area, they just, I'm not going to say don't amount to nothing because a person is worth more than their their income. But, but as far as getting out of the cycle, most people never do escape it. They might get a slightly better job than their parents, but a lot of people, they'll, for my area, for example, a, a, a high school boy graduating, of what I would say is average intelligence and low income has two or three options, and they, they're not good options. Mm-hmm. You can try your hand for the oil field, which mm-hmm. is hit and miss at best. I mean, a lot of I mean, just getting that job is not easy. Keeping that job is even harder, and then all of a sudden the oil field might completely drop to nothing, and then you have nothing. You can try to become a tradesman. Yeah, that's a good option if you can get the job. It's not easy. First of all, the job's hard. That's okay. I mean, just part of it. But a lot of people can't be tradesmen, just plain and simple. They either lack the mental capability or the physical capability. Or they can work at one of the dead-end jobs. Now, yes, I will always say that people have escaped worse situations. But what we are doing is, it's no wonder then that, that people... It just continues generation after generation after generation because these people don't know anything other than scraping by. They don't know anything other than being poor. And I've been there. And it's one of the things I'm very thankful for is that because if I hadn't been afforded the opportunities that I have, I wouldn't be where I am. I mean, yeah, I've had to work my butt off to get where I am, but I'm not going to sit here and act like I haven't caught a bunch of lucky breaks. My dad, being a tradesman himself, helped me out a lot getting into my trade. Not say he got me the job, but knowing how to work on the job and knowing trade fundamentals helps out a lot. So what do we do? You know, how do we as a nation effectively deal with the fact that a huge number of people, and it's only going to get worse, are going to be reduced to working at dead-end job after dead-end jobs, usually multiple jobs, as our country automates more jobs and loses more to foreign industry. I mean, for God's sake, we're going to lose the entirety of the trucking industry near enough in the next 20 years. What are we going to do with them people? 
the optimist in me says is that people at a certain point will just stop taking it and we'll fix our system. But the pessimist in me tells me that nothing's going to change. That these people that lose their livelihoods, that enter into these cycles of poverty where you're too poor to get a job. And make no mistake, there's a lot of people too poor to get jobs. Mm-hmm. That this country is just going to continue to stack people up at the bottom of the spectrum. And I will say this, if there is anything that is going to kill our nation, that will be it. Because as I will say, and I will say again, as people stack up at the bottom, they will find a way to get out by any means necessary. And historically speaking, it's usually for the worst. I talked for a while now. What's your thoughts on that? No, it's uh, it's very, very well stated. Um, you know, when you were relating your experiences and your insights on the cycle of poverty in all parts of the country, because what you're saying is not unique to your region. It's unique to the, in the inner cities, in ethnic communities, even you know, large and large cities, even the cities that appear to be prosperous, like Miami and New York City, major, major issues of cycles of poverty, unaffordable living conditions, unaffordable housing, the cost of groceries increasing. This is a nationwide problem. It's a national problem. And this is going to require, again, tackling several issues reorienting to the government towards truly serving the public good not saying what's nice come re-election time it's not about serving the interests of the one percent it's about also reconfiguring our capitalist system away from hyper financialization more towards building strong communities and a strong nation and using capitalism to achieve that goal under, frankly, state guidance at times. Frankly, heavy, when necessary, state guidance and control. Uh, this is requiring a ceasefire in the culture wars. Let everybody respect each other's living styles. If you're a Christian, you're a Christian. If you're LGBT, you're LGBT. Just leave it alone because this is used by the ruling classes and also force more your subversive left forces to divide us. But frankly, the ones that are most powerful are the 1%, and they will use wedge social issues to divide us, to keep us distracted from the core problems of this country. This is going to require our leaders actually meeting with representatives of everyday people, people in the front lines, the churches, the local labor leaders, not necessarily the national labor leaders, local labor leaders, local small business people. You know, President Trump claimed he used, I'm going to drain the swamp, you know, I'm draining the swamp. Okay, what did he put on his uh, jobs council? Remember that? Yes, he put Scott Paul, the Alliance of American Manufacturing, and he put Richard Trumka on there. Great, cool. But most of them were dominated by multinational corporations. That's not draining the swamp. I'm not going to lie, we should list 
have them at a seat at the table. By God, they're hogging the table. Yeah. And enough is enough. This is going to require reconfiguration of how we think of government, the purpose of government. And it's also going to require, frankly, to get us from point A to point B. Look, in life, I'm mostly optimistic about my personal world, relatively optimistic, maybe a little too optimistic, but about the country in the short and midterm, I'm pessimistic, but I know things will change. I'm optimistic enough, but it's a coast to coast disaster, economic, military, or both to shake this country to the core. Which direction we will go? We go to communism or national socialism? Will we go to our ideology, which is patriotic populism, or as I term it, radical civic nationalism? Will we revert back to total Gilded Age teabaggerism and, and anarcho-capitalism or whatever rule by corporations? I call it ANCAP instead of ANCAP. Uh, nobody will tell. I think we'll least likely go to Teabaggerstan. I think we'll either go towards, you would hope, radical civic nationalism, U.S. fracturing into different countries, perhaps, or we might go to outright national socialism or communism, uh, communism, you know, with a Chinese and Russian occupation. You know, that's a fork in the road that we're eventually going to have to face sooner or later. Well, I'll tell you and, and and God, let me just finish one point, and then you'll chime in. Yeah, one of the things is we have to get continue to get our message out. Even if we're reaching a hundred people, that's a hundred more people that can go out there in the world and spread our message. So that's right now the task we have to do now, and that's all I have to say. Sorry. Well, you're talking about that fork in the road, and I, and I want to say my what i my thoughts on that so there's a lot of people that they like to dig their heels in and say what worked is what we have to keep doing and look i've got no problem with saying you know i definitely think that representative democracy has been the best thing that we've done i mean because if as i look at the totalitarian systems around the world yeah we have our downsides yeah we have our gridlock jesus christ it can be a lot but at the same time, it can be better. And that's what we have to think about. Exactly. What I'm talking about is not burning the system to the ground. What Nevin's talking about is not burning the system to the ground. There are people out there that are talking about burning the system to the ground. That are talking about destroying everything in this country. I mean, you look at what the tankies are talking about any given day. They're not talking about saving the United States. They're talking about fundamentally destroying the principles of the United States and reforming a new nation that might have the same name, but none of the original characteristics. What we have to decide as a country is that what are we going to do over the next 20 years? And that needs to be the biggest focus of politics today, because I don't suspect that we have longer than 20 years left at the current rate. Right now in our country, I mean, you turn on the news and you look at what's happening around the country. You look at the violence. You look at the, the instability. You look at the deadlock in government, and you tell me that this is functional. You tell me that this is a good system right now. Yes, again, it could be worse. But we can't run our entire system on government as, oh, oh it could be worse. That's a horrible way of doing things. 
Look, our founding fathers set up a system of government to, to govern their time, the time that they lived in. And yes, there are immortal truths. The right to bear arms is an immortal truth or eternal truth. The right to freedom of speech is an eternal truth that should be protected and treasured. I'm not talking about ripping up the Constitution. What I'm saying is, is that as our government is currently configured, it has no hope of surviving a real threat, a real existential threat to it. I mean, look at COVID, for God's sake. Mm -hmm. I am not downplaying the effect of COVID. What I'm saying is that it wasn't the plague. This country nearly snapped itself in half and might still do it. We're not out of the woods yet over a disease that, historically speaking, will not be remembered in the same vein as the Spanish flu, the Black Plague, or other major pandemics. What I am saying is that unless we set up a system of government to survive in the long term, we're going to die. This is, I mean, not die. I'm not saying that every one of us is going to die. I'm not doom and gloom. What I'm saying is, is that our country will continue, it will cease to exist as we know it unless we take steps to fix it. Now, one of the things that we can take a step to fix when, is, well, ending Citizens United is one belief that I think would fix a lot of things, but it's not going to fix everything. Removing mm -hmm. corporate influence from our government is one of the biggest ways I can feel that could help us in the long term. How you go about doing that is a whole nother can of worms. And I'm not going to sit here and claim to have all the answers because that is a daunting challenge to say the least. But what you've got to ask yourself is this, is that would you rather have a government made up of the people or would you rather have a government made up of the big corporations telling people what to do? Because right now, more than likely, you don't have any say in how you're running your life. You, you're, the, the policies that you think would help people are almost never going to be put in place because a handful of mega corporations have decided that it's bad for business. One of the things that I tell people is the biggest thing that killed the Trump administration was its absolute refusal to tackle the corporate influence in our government. It just wouldn't do it. It refused to do it. When Trump was talking about his, his infrastructure plan, he was trying to talk about, well, we can't raise taxes that much, so I'm going to try to see if these corporations will just help donate some money for our infrastructure package. Like, that was never going to work. You were going to have to pry that money out of their hands. I'm not going to say dead hands. I'm going to say just pry it out of their hands because <laughs> these corporations are not going to give this crap up. They're not going to let go of their influence, and that's what we have to understand. We can't ask nicely. We can't be like, you know, Oliver Twist. You know, may I please have some? No. What we have to do is say that look, we are not going to let our country die because a handful of rich bastards want to take everything for themselves. And that's what's happening. The reason that our trade policy sucks is because a handful of mega corporations want it to be this way. They want to exploit $27 a day Chinese labor. The reason that we're still involved in the Middle East is because corporations have decided that it's profitable to be there. The reason that our infrastructure sucks is because corporations don't want to pay for the infrastructure that they use. I mean, when the, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce put that out the other day saying that, well, the people that use our infrastructure should pay it, I nearly come out of my skin. I was so angry because mm -hmm. it's their trucks on the roads. I mean, yeah, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce isn't a business, but it's their businesses 
the people on the U.S. Chamber of Commerce that profit the most by using our infrastructure. Of course, I fell off my fell out of my chair when I read about that. That was just galling. This is the thing that bothers me about this country. Anytime there's a big problem, it's our fault. Working people. It's up to us to do all the work. It's up to us to die in the foreign wars. It's up to us to pay for the fuck-ups whenever they make them. It's never their fault. It's never Amazon who has strategically undermined any labor movement in the United States. It's not Walmart, the biggest recipient of welfare in the United States by far. It's us. You know, and I've seen a thousand articles if I've seen one where, you know, it'll talk about how poor people should just spend less of their money on luxury items. And that would Mm -hmm. fix the problem. It's like, I don't know what these people think about as poor, but poor where I come from means that you don't, you barely make enough money to live with government subs, or sub, government assistance, much less without it. And I'll give you an example. When I was unemployed last year during the pandemic, I drew $560 a month in food stamps for my four kids, or my family of four. I ate pretty well. I'm not going to lie. When I got my $11.15 an hour job, I made $120 a month on food stamps. $11.15 an hour is not making, you're not getting rich. You're barely getting by. The government values me so little that they thought, well, he can just make it however he has to. I can't buy a lot of food for that. I couldn't make it on that. I mean, the only reason that I make it as far as I have is the fact that my wife can save money and that I don't spend money hardly. It's. It is the single issue that bothers me more than anything is the fact that everything has to be our fault. Everything has to be our problem. And I'm tired of it. I really am. Because there's only so much that you can blame on stupid people. There's only so much you can blame on lazy people. You know, the fact that the median income in the United States is $31,000 a year, at a certain point, 51% of the people in this country are not lazy. You know... What is that, a $15 an hour, a little over $15 an hour job if you just work 40 hours a week? I mean, and I've heard that a thousand times, is that it's just people are just too lazy today. People are just, they don't want to work. I've seen a thousand people that are willing to work. My whole life I've been around people that wanted to better themselves. But in this country, and this is why what scares me the most, is that every year it seems like it's harder to get by no matter how hard you try. And that's something we have to fix. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm tired of people that say that uh, we should owe our, quote, prosperity to the 1%. Well, I got news for you. The economy works in an organic fashion. It works like an or- a biological organism. Everything feeds off of each other in one gigantic feedback loop. It's the workers slash employees, it's the employers, investors, and it's consumers. And I got to tell you, the property and other investments of the capitalists ain't worth shit without consumers to purchase your product and workers to produce your product or distribute your product or service or whatever. And I really am just, it's sticking in my craw. I am sick and tired of that crap already because that is class warfare you know you're going to have the teabagger anti-reactionaries you're going to say well you guys are class warriors you're marxists well i got news for you mr 
Mr. Teabagger or Mrs. Teabagger. You're class warriors. You're shitting on the working class and then smothering them in the red, white, and blue stripes, claiming mm. you're a patriot, but yet you are more often than not people like Ron Johnson, teabagger senator from Wisconsin, doing business with communist China, meanwhile dressing himself up as a patriot. I'm tired of this job creator bullshit. Job creators, there are three, it's a three-legged stool. It's the capitalists, it's the employees, and it's consumers. Let's get that through our thick fucking teabaggers, Reaganite skulls already. Enough is enough. Reaganism is killing this country. And it is. And I'm going to beat this drum until I have no more life and breath in my lungs. I swear to God almighty, I will fight this fight. I'm pumped and I'm ready to jump. Are you, audience out there, are you ready to be pumped and jump? Listen to our podcast. Tell your friends and family about our message. This is how stuff got, movements are built. And I can't predict if this is gonna be effective or not, but we gotta get ourselves in the fight somehow. And this is the way I know how to do that. I'm not much of an activist person in the streets. You know, I'm more of your sort of armchair commentator and, you know, Herschel, you know, he has a variety of different skills, including commentator and speaker. But there are other people out there listening to this show. We could build a little movement. You know, even our respective states just takes a couple of people. You know, stand in front of City Hall, hand out leaflets in front of the library about our movement, our ideas. This is how stuff gets done. But by God, I'm going to continue this. Kyle Kalinsky said he was talking to himself for two years. Handful of followers. Now look where he's at. It's his full-time job. We can do it, potentially. Well, I'll tell you something that, and this is a philosophy that I've tried to keep for a while. You know, when I'm trying to talk to people to get them involved in an organization, and I'm talking to the audience right now, we don't need 20 quarterbacks on a team. We don't need, everybody doesn't need to do what we do. Now, if you can do that, I mean, look, there's people that's way better than I am at this. Like, I'm still trying to learn this crap. But everybody has something that they can do. And I'm kind of, I'm trying to extend the olive branch right here. If you feel like you can be a valuable part of our team, be, reach out to us. Comment down below. Email us. Message us on Facebook. I don't care. Get a hold of us because I can use you. If you want to enter this fight, if you want to fight for working class politics, and if you want to fight for a better future for us, this is where it starts. We have to start now because, you know, the opposition, they're already way ahead of us. You know, they started the race 100 years ago, 200 years ago. We have to get started now. So imagine it's about time to wrap up. So I would say this. To anybody that listened to this message, thank you for your time listening in. Please or please like, share, and subscribe to this video. Please follow us on Facebook. But also, don't get discouraged. I know it's easy to. And, and this is something that I fight every day, especially after Bessemer. Because a, a huge part of me wants to be pessimistic and say that there's no change in this, that we can't fix this, that there's no way to, to overcome this monster. And maybe there's not. 
but just throwing your hands up in the air and giving up is not going to fix the problem either. I don't even care if you're not part of us. I'm not here to recruit everybody into us. I'm not saying that we're the only viable solution because I believe there's many organizations and movements that can help fight this. What I'm saying is, is that as long as you sit on the sidelines and do nothing, nothing is going to change and nothing is going to get better. Well, Nevin, it's been an absolute pleasure. I really enjoyed getting back into the swing of things this week, and I look forward to our next week. Do we have any special guests lined up? Um, well, I'm working on Alan Hahn, who is the uh, former the head of the, the organization, former head of the organization National Democracy Party. I also have to get in touch with a uh, local uh, labor union leader who I met at work. Uh, he was a custom library customer and uh, working on him and then working on my old high school buddy uh, Rohit Chandra who runs a political Zoom discussion group. So we got some exciting uh, people that I'm working on down the pike uh, but meanwhile we're going to continue to have our solo shows and our uh, shows with Herschel and I where we're going to talk about current events and philosophy you know political strategies and philosophies and policy recommendations, etc. So I want to thank everybody uh, for joining us tonight. Thank you, Herschel. You've been a great co-host as always. Um, hope everybody has a wonderful rest of their weekend and a wonderful and productive uh, work week ahead of us. Take care. God bless and have a good night.